slideshow coming. Okay. We have been studying the book of Job, and uh, the theme is relating to God while suffering in life. This is lesson number 18. What are you, God? <laughs> and this is said by two persons, Bildad and Job, to each other. In other words, they are accusing each other of blasphemy. Okay. Um, and so we have two short chapters, chapter 25 and 26. Okay. If you look at a road map, there was a cosmic big picture. And uh, it was peaceful, then there was a conflict. When a righteous man who's supposedly blessed is suffering, something is wrong. So people came together and tried to find a solution. Okay? And Job started by complaining, why should I live? This is so painful. No point. And then in the first round, three friends each talked to Job and Job responded. And Eliphaz, who was the most responsible, reasonable person, he said in a very compassionate and peaceful way, brother, after we have sat together for seven days without saying anything, we have thought it through. I'm sorry I have to tell you that the only solution, explanation for your situation is that you are being judged for your sin. Okay, I'm sorry, but this is the only logical conclusion. And Job says, but where was I wrong? I can't find it. Can you help me? The second friend, Bildad, who was the emotional one, he says, well, you must repent. Then you got to be restored to glory. Okay? We love you. So just change. Just admit you're wrong. Then come back. You know? And then Job says, well, no, I, I will argue my case. I cannot admit wrongs where I can't find it. You cannot... I cannot confess sins which I don't think I've committed. And it will be lying. It was not right. And then Zophar, who was a willful friend, he says, you must shut up. You're dangerous. And then Job says, he, are you really wise, man? Huh? Yeah. And so he started to tap out in the whole system. In the second round, if the first round is called, called the end of Reason, the second round, should be called the flaring of emotion. Eliphaz said, um, who do you think you are? You see, the cool one lost his cool. <laughs> he became emotional. And then Job said, well, who understands me? You know, he's also emotional. And Bildad said, you are dangerous. You just sound like a proud, wicked man who is marching to hell. And watch out, you might be like him. And Job says, I don't deserve this. And then Zophar said, you deserve it. And then <laughs> Zophar said, your theory is wrong. The whole system is something is wrong. Okay. And then in the third round, I call it the collision of wills. Okay. When the reasons are out, the emotions flare. And then finally, it's just a collision of will. Whose gun is better? Whose accusation is harsher, basically? And so, in the first round, Eliphaz said, you sinned big. You must have done this and this and that. He itemized the sins, uh, even though he didn't know for sure if um, he has no evidence that Job did any of this, but he believed that Job must have done all of this in order to deserve this punishment. You sinned big. And then 
Job says, I will sue God. <laughs> I have to bring my case to God because no man hear me. Even though my case is somewhat against God, and uh, you know it's hard to sue the judge in the court of the judge. But he says, I have no other options. And then we are today. Okay. In today, you have Bildad in chapter 25 saying, who are you, God? <laughs> Job, you are blaspheming. Okay, you think you're righteous? Impossible. And then Job said the same thing. Who are you, God? You think you're wis you have wisdom? You have none. Only God has it. You see? It's like two gunslingers each put out their gun. They are shooting the same caliber bullets at the biggest they could have, which is blaspheming. Okay? <laughs> and at each other. <laughs> so the bullets are flying to each other's face. There's no further that can be uh, that can go no this is this is the end of the debate okay well let's go if you look at the the progression okay of the friend's personality you can see that in the first round that, uh, of the debate which i call the end of reason eliphaz was reasonable bildad was emotional and zophar was willful and in the second round of debate, which I call the flare, uh, flaring of emotion, Eliphaz became emotional, and both Bildad and Zophar were willful. Then in the third round of debate, which I call the collision of the wills, all three friends of Job became willful judges of God. <laughs> Only two need to speak. Okay. And although the friends of Job made changes in the usage of the faculties of personality, their messages were amazingly consistent throughout. Now, this is the theology of the friends. That the universe is a clock-like, precise, moralistic being. The law of retribution works perfectly in all its four logical forms. Okay? If you are good, you're rewarded. If you're bad, you're punished. If you're punished, you're bad. If you're rewarded, you're good. Okay? So that's the four forms. And then they believe that Job, who claims to be an anomaly, but anomalies should not exist. Okay? They do not believe there are anomalies, which are unexplainable facts in their worldview. Therefore, the worldview must be maintained. And in other words, the assumptions cannot be challenged. And then Job must be condemned. In other words, the evidence is denied. It's like in a court. You either accept the evidence, then you challenge something big, or you deny the evidence, then the court, the case is dismissed. For them, the worldview must be maintained. For it shakes up too much in life. They will have Meniere syndrome in dizziness uh, if the worldview is gone. So they can't take it. That's why that must be kept, and you, Job, your evidence are denied. Okay, not accepted in, the, in their court. Okay. And uh, the suffering of the righteous in their world worldview never exists. Okay. You suffered, Job, you suffered, you are not righteous. Okay. And therefore, in that worldview, there's no redeemer who is righteous and suffered. There is no Jesus Christ. And there's no salvation by faith in grace. Because everything is work-based. You see, in a moralistic universe, everything is work-based. Okay. And that cannot be Christian, right? 
Okay, so this is the close. It's very close to the theology called panentheism. That came from three Greek words: pan, that's all; in is in, uh, and the theos, God, all in God. Okay, so panentheism is a variation of pantheism, which means all is God. Okay, so all is God or all in God. Okay, so in panentheism, God and the universe are distinct, but they are in each other. Okay, and uh, um, and then both are good. Since God is good, the universe must be good. But how do you deal with the evil in the world? Well, they will deny it in some some way. Uh, either they say it's an illusion, or they give another name. They call it just. Like you know, mercy versus versus severity in the in the Kabbalah, or they call uh, uh, some people will call it's a mistake. It's not a sin. Okay, so they just somehow deny the reality of evil, since if they believe God is good in pantheism, and in pantheism there's no choice. God is the universe. Since the universe has both good and evil, then God is both good and evil. So pantheism is Hinduism. So <laughs> that's their theology, either pantheism or panentheism, not really theism, which have a separate God separated from the universe. God created the universe. Okay, in pantheism or panentheism, the universe is an emanation of God, kind of extension of God, not the creation of God. Okay, so that there's a big difference. Okay, and um, uh, let me see. Now, how about Job's per,、uh, personality and theology? There is a progression too. Job's personality was full and complex, and it demonstrates reason, emotion, and will throughout the debate. If there is a progress, at first he was emotional because he gave lament: "Why should I live?" Right, and then he became more. He demonstrated more reasons. He was developing a new system because the old system doesn't work. He has to develop a new system of theory. Of theology, okay, and then finally he demonstrated his will. I have to see God, okay. So he has emotion, he has reason, and he has will, okay. And his thought or theology was developing. He was not consistent throughout, like his friends. His thoughts were developing. At first, he believed in the same system as his friends of a moralistic universe. And then his personal experience, which is an undeniable evidence to him, it is not consistent with the system. Okay, the system doesn't allow doesn't allow a righteous person suffer. Okay, either he's not righteous or he's not really suffering, which he can't deny either of those. Okay, and,、uh, and then he had to challenge the presuppositions and develop a new system. And then what did his system end up? Okay, this is Job's theology. He believed that God is good and just. This he held by faith. Okay, but the universe is not just. This he held by experience. Okay, so as we know, you can know things in three ways: faith for the supernatural things, which you cannot experience for reason. You just believe. Okay, faith, and then. Reason for the human things, where you can think, and then the experience for the natural things, where you can experience. Okay, so there are three ways to knowledge. The experience is the lowest, the faith is the highest, the reason is in between. 
Okay? And Job used all three. Okay? He, by faith, believed God is righteous and just. And by experience, he knows the universe is not just. And then what do you do? With reason, he has to develop a new theory. So Job is suffering. He is a suffering righteous man, which should not exist in the system. But he exists. This is undeniable to Job. His friends can deny it. But to Job, this is undeniable. I exist. I am a suffering righteous man. The system cannot explain. So I have to develop a new system. And he knew he sinned. It's not that he's saying he's sinless. He knew he sinned, but he took care of it by sacrifices. And he suffered beyond the proportion to his sin. And this is where the injustice is. Okay. And no man accepts Job as an evidence that challenged the system. His friends didn't believe in him. Therefore, Job had to bring his case to God. But he has several problems. He can't see God. <laughs> God is a spirit, and he is a matter. Uh, matter and spirit, okay, and so. But uh, also, God is infinite and holy, and he is not. Okay, And also, his case is indirectly accusing God for allowing injustice without explanation. Now we know Job doesn't owe an explanation to anybody. Okay, he's sovereign. But to the one who is suffering, he wants an explanation. I think he has a right to at least ask for it. Right. So he was indirectly accusing God. Why do you allow this injustice without explanation? I believe you are just by why this. Okay. So this is a theology in progression. And let's see where it ends. Yeah. Since God is righteous and just, and Job's experience challenges that, there must be a resolution, which is a legal case, in the heavenly court. And if Job cannot bring his own case to God, there must be a personal redeemer of him, acting as his advocate, in other words, lawyer, and pleading in front of God, like a high priest. And this Redeemer must be both divine, thus infinite and holy, so he can be in the front of God. And he also must be human, thus he would understand human travesty, you know. The, the, and also he would be accessible to Job. Okay? You see where it's leading, right? Yeah. So, if he doesn't exist now at the time of Job, he must exist in the future. <laughs> so Job's theology developed to the need for God to send his eternal son as Jesus Christ. You see, the New Testament theology was projected by Job from his time because he had the faith in a just God and he has experience of being a righteous suffering man. His reason worked in the middle rejecting the old moralistic universe worldview and develop a new worldview. And this new worldview keeps God's justice, righteousness, and it needs somebody who is a God-man, who is righteous, but he also human. And he would have to be the redeemer. In other words, he will pay for the sins of the sinful. Okay. And that is Jesus Christ. Do you see how important Job is? Job lived at the time of Moses and slightly ahead. But he 
reasoned out New Testament theology as a necessity if God is righteous and just. The New Testament must be true in the future. You see, this is Old Testament saints using the faculties God gave them, their faith, their reason, and experience, to think, and they projected there must be Christ Jesus. Okay, and uh, Christ Jesus cannot exist in the moral universe, but in this new system. He is necessary. Okay. So, he's not great. Job was great. Yeah. Yeah. And then there, there is a question now. Is the text truncated? Um, modern scholars see the third round of debate as truncated because it only has two debates between Job with Eliphaz and Bildad. No Zophar. Some suspected that the text was corrupted the, uh, the talk between Zophar and Job was lost. Okay? And some even go further. They will. They suspect that the text has switched places. That 25, 5 through 14 should be connected to chapter 26. 5 to 13 should be connected to chapter 25. Because they're both praising God's omnipotence. Okay? So the, the, there's a verse about Job. It shouldn't be there. There must be a switch. They say there is a truncation and there's a switching. But in my opinion, these theories are not necessary. Okay? Because the role of willful judge condemning Job was already switched from Zophar to both, or expanded rather, from Zophar to both Eliphaz and Bildad. They all become willful judges condemning Job. They, they made up their mind. You must be guilty because our worldview cannot be challenged. Right? So the role has already been switched. And Bildad's words in chapter 25 is already short. And there's nothing to be said by Zophar. What could be said has already been said. It might beat the dead horse otherwise. Right? So um, both Bildad in chapter 25 and Job in chapter 26, they are accusing each other, the, the, the other side, of blasphemy. What are you, God? The others say, what are you, God? And they are pointing guns to each other. <laughs> and as believers, accusing blasphemy is the biggest bullet. And there's nothing more can be said. <laughs> you see? That's why this, I believe, is the original text. And there's no more necessary. That's it. That's why it ends the debate. Okay. So now let's go to the text. First of all, uh, then Bildad, the Shuhite, answered, Dominion and all belong to him who establishes peace in his heights. Is there any number of his troops? And upon whom does his light not rise? So he's saying that God is great and almighty. Agree. He rules over all creation. We agree. He commands a large angelic army. We agree. And he provides and illumines all who depends on him. We all agree. This is a praise on God, and all believers of God should agree. Okay, So no problem with here. And then he goes on. He's saying, God is holy and humans are not. Okay, How then can a man be just with God? Or how can he be clean who is born of woman? So he's saying that no human or mortals born of a woman can be clean or just before God. Okay, This implies that Job's claim of being innocent is false. 
he must be guilty of the sins that deserve the suffering as punishment. And this also denies the possibility of a God-man like Jesus, who is completely righteous before God, thus qualifies as the Redeemer of man, being an infinite sacrifice without blemish, who has no sin but dies to pay the sins of all others. You have to be infinite to pay for the sins of all, right? So he had to be both God and man does. And he needs to be man to be able to die, because God doesn't die. You have to be God in order to be infinite and perfect. So he has to be both God and man. And then he and also his act of giving his life is willingly because of love for the redeemed and the obedience for the Father who sent him and also chose the bride. <laughs> okay. So because of obedience and love, he did this willingly. Therefore, it is not an act of injustice by God. You see, there are some religious sects, like, for example, Jehovah's Witness, who believes that. Jesus Christ is Michael, the, the, uh, an archangel. Okay? And God sacrificed this innocent being to pay for the sins of the guilty. And therefore, we who believe can be saved. But the problem is, is the God of Jehovah's Witness just? Okay? If he demonstrated love for us, by sacrificing an innocent being who is not God, then he would have done injustice to that being. Right? <laughs> Why would God sacrifice an innocent being like Michael the Archangel for us? That would be injustice. It may be good for us, but it's bad for Michael. Right? So, therefore, the God of Jehovah's Witness is not both loving and just. But the true God is both, you see. Okay, and uh, uh, the only possibility for God sacrificing an innocent being and yet did not commit injustice is that number one, that being is also God, Jesus Christ, who is divine, and number two, that being did it willingly. Only you sacrifice this, these conditions, will God be able to redeem without committing injustice. You see, and therefore it demands that Jesus Christ is the God Man. You see, and without this Trinitarianism, God would not be both good and just. Okay, and then and then, uh, so here. There are some errors in theology already. And then um, Bildad continued. He said, God is light and humans are maggots. <laughs> if even the moon has brightness and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man that maggot and the son of man that worm? Okay. The word actually appeared in the Bible. You know, the, the Jacob thought he was nothing but a worm. <laughs> so at times when people are humble, and, and self-deprecating, you can say that. But there is a lacking of a complete picture. God is, he's saying that God is like intensive light, greater than the sun, he's brighter than the moon and the stars, and God's holiness and power is unimaginable to man and certainly incomparable. We agree, okay? And comparing to him, humans are so insignificant, they're nothing but maggots and worms. And here is something 
that is incomplete. Okay. Yes, compared to the infinite God, we are insignificant. But on the other hand, God put something of Him in us. Remember, God created man in His image, right? So He put something of Him into us. Thus, we have value to Him. Okay, and uh, uh, He. You know, the, this one, um, Bill Dad, he is right in praising God's greatness, but he ignored the image of God in man. He also ignored the love of God as a motive of creation. God is love. That is his nature. And love, of course, is a relationship, so there must be a trinity. Okay, And then love naturally expands. That's why God decided to create us with free will. So we might know love. Well, the free will didn't stand long when people sinned, so you're not totally free. You're bound in many senses, especially on matter of salvation. But God still wants to overcome that. He gave us the Redeemer. He gave us the Holy Spirit who regenerates our spirit and freed our will again. And it's in our regenerated free will that we said yes to Christ's proposal for this wedding of him, marriage of him with his bride. Okay, We are not forced into a love relationship. We enter it willingly. Okay? But this will was not free. It was freed by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So with this, you complete the old picture. Okay? Once you recognize the image of God in man and the love of God for man. So he does not want to keep us as maggots and worms. He wants to elevate us. Okay? Yes, we have animal side, like animals, but we have something higher than the animals, the image of God. And there's a purpose to go. Okay? We were children in the household, and we can become sons once you unite with the eternal son. Right? So that's how we are elevated from simply creatures where, uh, or things. Now we are persons. We are also family members of God. And then we have a future to look up to. We will be fellow heirs of the kingdom to come together with Christ. So this is the complete picture. Of course, the ancient people did not know it, and everybody lived in his time. And, and we can't blame Bildad for that, but Bildad was wrong. Okay, And then Job reasoned out, at least toward, the complete picture. Okay, And now here are Job's response. Um, and then Job responded in chapter 26, What a help you are to the weak! How you have saved the arm without strength! What counsel you have given to one without wisdom! What helpful insights you have abundantly provided! He gave all of those with exclamation mark, but of course he was saying in his sarcasm. Okay. And uh, he praised his friends for having helped the weak, like Job, and they did not. And they for, for having good counsels with wisdom, and they had none. And then having provided insight for understanding, and they did not. So it was sarcasm. Okay. And he's saying, uh, you are helpers, huh? Really? And then he, he said, but what? He goes further. What is the spirit behind you? Okay. To whom have you utterly uttered words, and whose spirit was expressed through you? So Job wondered about wondered about the true audience and the spiritual source of his friends. Were they trying to comfort the weak? Not. 
They seem to be talking to themselves, repeating the talking points of the declaration of faith of the religion of the moralistic universe. They keep going back to the few talking points. You know, once they reach something that should challenge their mind and change, they refuse that and they will go back to the talking points. Okay, they, they're like mind control. So they, they, they just keep on going back to their doctrines. Okay, and uh, they're not really talking to Job. They're actually talking to themselves, trying to keep their mind sane, I guess, uh, in front of this evidence. And then, were they inspired by the Spirit of God? It's questionable. Because if God and the universe are one and the same, as in pantheism, or in each other, as in panentheism, how can God be both good, righteous, just? Uh, uh, how can God be good, righteous, and just when the universe demonstrates so much injustice? He can't explain that. Okay, so God has to be separated from the universe. He has to be the creator of the universe from nothing, not just emanating himself as the universe. Okay, if the universe is God in any sense, then God cannot be all good. You see, and God is good. That's an essential identification of the true God. He is all good, and there is no evil. He is all light, and there's no darkness. In him, that is an essential identification in him. Okay, and also another one: he is the eternal one. Okay, and there's no other. So then, Job gave us a hymn, basically praising God for being the creator of the universe. He is so high above the universe because the universe was is was is nothing but a creature, a created being from the infinite, everlasting God. The universe is not God. Okay, the universe is a creation of God. Okay, so he said, God rules over the underworld. Okay, in ancient people they believe there are three heavens where angels, stars, and birds exist, and there are three hells. Uh, the first hell is for human souls; it's called Sheol Hades, and the second hell is for the demons. Fallen angels. That's called the abyss or bottomless pit. And the third hell is the lake of fire. Okay. And then, and then there, there's the land, which is the earth. And then the earth is above the seas. Okay. And the seas are above the underworld. That's the ancient worldview. And uh, uh, the, he said that the departed spirits tremble under the water and their inhabitants. Naked is Sheol before him, and Abaddon has no covering. So the spirit or soul, spirit and soul, yes, together of the dead people go to Sheol or Hades. Sheol is the Old Testament concept. Hades is the New Testament concept. They're one and the same.、Uh, it's a gathering place of dead men's souls waiting for final judgment. Okay, so the spirit of the dead people will go to Sheol, Hades, which is lower than the sea. Okay, with its inhabitants. Okay, so they be the land. People on the land, when they die, you go to the underworld, which is lower than the sea. And the God sees through Sheol and Hades, for nothing there is hidden from God, even if He is not there, but He sees it. In what sense is God not in hell? Well, depending what level you say it. Okay, is God in hell? Is God not in hell? Well, I would say He's not in hell. He's in heaven. But in the other sense, He is in nowhere. God actually is bigger than heaven, right? Heaven was created for the glory of God to exhibit, to manifest. 
Okay, and the earth is for the mercy of God, and the earth and the hell is for the justice of God. So God manifests His attributes in different places. Okay, and He is not exactly in anywhere because He's greater than any of this. Okay, but in a sense, He is also in hell because His justice is there. Okay, um, and uh, but here Job says, even if God is not in hell, He sees hell; nothing is hidden from Him. And even Abaddon, which was the um, demonic prince of destruction, is under God. Okay. And then he says, God rules over the sky. Okay. He stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds and the clouds does not burst under them. So God stretched out the space where the stars exist. Can we derive the expanding universe of modern cosmology from here? Maybe. Okay. And then uh, God hands the earth in empty space. Well, that suggests the earth is a sphere. <laughs> okay. And then God produces the clouds, which are nothing but water vapors. Wait, the ancients know some science. Right. And then God let the clouds turn into rains. It's not by Baal, the Lord, you know, but it's by Yahweh, the eternal one. You know, the name, in, right now in our Bibles, especially when you read NIV, uh, it, it has the Lord capitalized, all four letters. When you read that, you should read it Yahweh or Jehovah, because it only has the, 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 the Y-H-W-H in the, in the original language. And uh, it, Yahweh or Jehovah, it means the eternal one, because it's related to the, to the verb in Hebrew, to be. God was, is, and will ever be. So that is the nature. The real ID for God, the true God, is he's the eternal one. Okay, And uh, um, to say that he is the Lord actually is saying he is above others. He is the highest one. Well, the true God is higher than others. However, there are a lot of beings claim to be the Lord. Right? So when you switch Jehovah or Yahweh, the eternal one, to read it, like in Hebrew, when they see that, they read Adonai, which means the Lord. Uh, and then uh, the, the English now translated as the Lord rather than Yahweh or Jehovah. Okay? So when you read that, you switch the role of God, the ID of God from the eternal one to the highest one. Which God certainly can claim it, but it also opens doors for others. And I think it's, an, it's better to stick to the original. <laughs> right. And uh, God rules over the sky. He lets the clouds turn into rains. So it's not by Baal, Baal, the Lord, but by Yahweh, the eternal one. Okay. And then God rules over the earth. He obscures the face of the full moon and spreads his cloud over it. He is inscribed a circle. He has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. So God causes the lunar phases. Okay? The new moon, full moon, etc. Okay? For man to know time. That's why he obscured the face of the moon. It's a lunar phase. He can also hide the moon with clouds, so man do not know time. Okay? The seas form a great circle, which is on a spherical earth. Okay? And the sphere of the earth causes the boundary of light and darkness, or day and night, from the first day of creation. How why do the Jews have their day starting from evening? Because in creation, God created heaven and the earth, and the earth 
was dark in the half a day and in the middle of a day, so it must be spinning with the period, the same length as now, a day. And after half a day, God created light. The light was directly from God. Okay, He created light. And the light shines on the sphere, so half of the sphere is the day and the other is night. So there was evening, there's morning. Okay, so the only way for the, the, the earth to have day and night is because it's a sphere. And God said light shines from one direction. At first, the light is from God, and then God deputized it to let the sun do it. So when the fourth day, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and then they provide the light for the earth. It's not directly from God. So God is more high above. Okay, And uh, um, so you see a lot of science in here, right? And then he says, God rules over the seas. The pillars of heavens tremble, tremble and are amazed as a rebuke. He quieted the sea with his power, and by his understanding he shatters Rahab. Okay. If, uh, he's saying that if the dry land is based on pillars in the seas, God rules over them too. If the heavens are based on the pillars of the land, God rules over them too. I mean, this is ancient people talking. They only know the layers. Three heavens, the land, over the sea, then over the hell the underworld. They believe there could be some invisible pillars that hold them up. And uh, if there is, God rules over them. That's what he said. And I think later in chapter 38, you're going to find out what is the so-called foundation of the earth. I believe it is referring scientifically to the universe that God created in the fourth day, the sun, the moon, and the stars. They kept the earth moving in its current state. They maintain it. God gave the first push, but maintenance, God uses nature, which he created to do it. Okay, And that is actually the foundation of the earth, which was created later than the earth. The earth was created on the first day. The foundation of the earth, which is the rest of the universe, was on the fourth day. Okay, So we'll see in chapter 28. Now we're still in chapter 26. Okay, Now, uh, if the sea, the sea is uh, the sea, is the sim a symbol of instability and disturb disturbed by sea monsters uh, called Rahab. It is a symbol of Egypt at times in the Bible. It is possibly originally from the image of a dinosaur. But God can shatter them. You know, we know that after the flood, the dinosaurs gradually disappeared. I believe God did save the dinosaurs through Noah. He can just keep the little ones or the, the eggs on the ark. But after that, the nature changed. Okay? Uh, and uh, um, no upper, no more upper water, right? More radiation, and uh, everything shrunk in size, and the the, the dinosaurs uh, do not have their um, their, their lifespan. The, you know that crawlers, what do you call them, reptiles? Reptiles never stop growing as long as they're alive, right? Snakes, if they're alive, they'll keep on growing. Okay. Uh, so before the flood, humans live up to a thousand years, right? So you can imagine other things live long time, and the reptiles would grow to be giants. But after the flood, human life dropped from 1,000 to 120 as the norm, and then others' lifetime dropped too, lifespan dropped too, and therefore they can't be big. Okay, so I think that's how. It, but some of them, of course, got this extinct. Um, I suggested in my seminary writing, and then the professors laughed at me and said, God. <laughs> yeah, this only works if you believe in the literal 
interpretation of Genesis 1. And then he finally, um, um, Job said, God rules over the flesh. By his breath, the heavens are cleared. His hands has pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are the fringes of his ways. And how faint a word we hear of him. But his mighty thunder, who can understand? So he's saying that God created the heavens by his breath. That would include the spirit and word. And God can slay the serpent even though if it is slithering away. And these listed above are only a small portion of the power of God. And he says that God speaks rarely to humans. But even if he does speak as loud as the thunders, humans do not listen. Job is implying that his life experience as a suffering righteous is a thundering testimony to the believers of the old moralistic universe. universe okay? But his friends would not listen. But Job himself, he reasoned, he, if God is just, there must be a redeemer. We are glad he reasoned it out because God has made that real through Christ Jesus. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this wonderful conclusive um, chapters these chapters of, um, of the debates between Job and his friends. And thank you for letting Job reason out basically the New Testament theology before even the Old Covenant was installed. So you were sovereign and you have um, created all of these and wrote down the book so that we may see that you are a consistent and faithful God. You are the God of creation, the God of love, the God of faithfulness. And in all of those attributes, you have given us the reality of the Redeemer through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we now enter your family, calling you Father, and we're declaring our faithfulness. We pray that you keep it forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together once again. Let's conclude our singing with one verse of the hymn, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. <clears throat> Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love, the fellowship of kindred minds as like to that above. The mercy of God, the love of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us forever and ever, letting the realized redemption through Christ Jesus be manifesting through our life. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you.